Hey everyone, welcome back to Sounding Out with Misanthrope, the podcast where I speak to friends from musicians to producers to zine makers to promoters about their experiences as women and queer femme people in the music industry. As always, please remember to give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It would be super helpful to help more people hear the podcast, and it will also get me recommended on streaming platforms. Today's episode is part two of my conversation with Valentina of Sets in the CD. In our continued chat, we tackle each of our first budding music geek record finds, the horrifying dark side of label monopolies and streaming fraud, that one time Val received an email from Anthony Fantano in 2011, and why it's important to keep sustaining indie communities as the music industry becomes hyper-commercialized. And finally, ranting about sexist comparisons pinned on indie women everywhere. So without further ado, let's get into it. David Weigel wrote the most hilarious thing in his book about Prague, the the show that never ends. He was like, how do all these bands like Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer not get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Red Hot Chili Peppers make it in? It still hurts about Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer, not going to lie. I look at um, pictures at an exhibition, which I had on on hard press back in in Italy and um it, I, my heart stings a little bit. I try not to pay too much attention to that because I just I think that that's pandering too, you know, like all these like introduction yeah. stuff, ceremonies and whatever. I think it's just ugh, like it's so tired and it's so like I don't know, like like first year alternative alt alt culture where it's like you don't have you want you we can be interesting, but we can't be that weird because it's like you know otherwise it doesn't become marketable. Yeah. And, that's why like I think I kind of gave up on pursuing the business side of it I did work in the business side for a while actually when I was in college um and I I stopped pursuing it because I, I realized that so much of it was walking this fine especially old like people yeah. that were so people like Brian Eno, people that worked, I worked with mixers and producers. I didn't really work with artists, but basically I was working with a manager, a really famous mixer and producer, extremely famous. And it was at the time that he won a Grammy. And um, I just saw so much that like, so much of these people that were producing these incredible records that now, you know, us like more alternative fans are holding up to the standard are literally like now the same mixers and producers because nobody's looking at the mixer and producer. Everybody's looking at the band or the manager or whatever. But the mixer and the audio engineer who engineered like your favorite talking heads is probably engineering some of your favorite Katy Perry nowadays. You know, that's how it works. That's how you get... At the end of the day, people got to make a living. Yeah. And to... One one part of me is like really glad the community exists because we are able to generate a community that could become hopefully one day able to sustain itself financially for the people that want to devote the people that want to make their money off of it. I think that 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 is extremely exciting because walking this like tightrope between like how I can make this sustainable and how I can like make this um 
authentic is like a like a suicide mission almost because it's it just it's really really difficult and especially like streaming services and all that um I was trying to book local artists I think this was in like Jersey um and it was it was hard it was hard to like find that kind of indie work while also representing like a very sanitized yeah position. very 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 hard these days um yeah it feels like it's music has gone so corporate the business side at least that mm-hmm. like all the distribution and all we're seeing like in all the spotify billboards it's like i, d- I don't want to knock people who enjoy mainstream stuff i don't want to be that guy but it feels like so much of the indie stuff is just being you know you know, stonewalled and like not, and not let through, you know, it sucks. It sucks so hard. It it does. And, and with streaming the, the, I was watching this, I'm a big barely sociable fan. So I was watching barely sociable's video about Spotify and how the payment distribution and um, works and the way that people can just like, if I buy myself like six, like knockoff phones and I'm like streaming and somebody pays me to stream a specific song, then that's how the artist can survive. And that's, that's brutal, man. Cause if I'm a started indie band, like it's, and I have a few friends that are musicians um, that are getting started and that are putting their stuff out on Spotify and they're not seeing the streams and they're like begging for somebody to put them on a, on a playlist. And that to me is like music becoming like instrumentalized. And that's so scary where it's like this one random dude at Spotify has the, has the potential to be like, has the same leveraging power of a whole A&R department in 1976. Like that's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy craziness because think about it. You put this one song in this one Spotify playlist that you broadcast to like millions of people every day. Boom. You've just potentially made a star yeah I don't know I'm just like yeah like like when the whole like driver's license phenomenon happened I was like what kind of backdoor dealing is going on with that shit and people (laughs) people being like we've never seen anything like this before and I'm like okay I'm happy for her and I I love her new album by the way I think it's great and very versatile but this is and and there's nothing like I mean if if you've got the power use it for love of god like great but I, I I hate that. I hate the the thickness of like reviewing something and being like, this is revolutionary. This is like nothing, no music has ever been this personal before. I'm like, really? That that's that's what the critique we're going with. We're not talking about the great production by her team to make her sound good. We're not talking about the strength of the voice because those those are obviously like the songwriting there isn't, in my opinion, extremely revolutionary. It's not the selling point. The delivery is really great. And I think that like the emotion behind the delivery is something that people really connect and gravitate to. Yeah. And the lyrical output is again, something that resonates because this is so subjective. When people, when people review music, something that's great to me, it could be like sucky to you. And, and that's totally fine. Totally fine. Like most people have loved the street trip album that I, and it's not like I don't like it. I just don't love, love it. I just don't think it's nowhere near where like Cavalcade or um, Squid or even the new Tyler stuff um, is. And, and it's like ranked up there now. And so I'm like, okay, well, all right. But um, yeah, for me, pop music is very hard to, to navigate because I'm, I'm a little burnt. I'm a little like, I don't know. It's mainstream pop. It's kind of like, it's like it, well, this is going to sound really weird, but it's on the same level as, <laughs> as White House. I'm like, I can listen to this 
but am I going to listen to this in my free time when I have like literally millions of other albums that I could be listening to for the first time and discovering that like I'm addicted to listening to new albums. I can't stop. Um, to me, unless I'm working out when I'm working out, I need something that I've heard 5,000 times. Otherwise I, I literally do not cannot stand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I'm like working or doing my thing or living my life, I'm always listening to something new because I'm always like, there's something new to discover. There's something new. Yeah. There's new people that need to, they need my, my little miserly streams. Um, and I'm glad that platforms like Bandcamp exist. They allow, they allow artists to really break out and to really like sell their own stuff without needing all this like label policing. Because I'm reading about, um, I've just finished writing the new MBV um, part two. Um of the little series which it's so it's so like i'm i'm floored by the amount of dream and cow content the channel is about to see um but i was reading about their own struggle with the release of mbv which was way back in 2013 and if only Bandcamp had been a thing that they had considered they yeah. wouldn't have gone to because apparently there was like the site crash and i remember because i was i was on the side the site crashed People weren't able to download because they they did it themselves. They like coded their own website. And that's really hard to code your own website, to sell things on a website that you code without a third party platform. If you're not like a, if you don't have like a whole team of coders is extremely difficult because you're literally engineering like a whole um, CMS and mm-hmm. a whole like backdoor of, of things. And clearly they weren't equipped. But I'm just wondering, like, if they wanted to just, like, put MBV out on Bandcamp at the time, I don't know. I'm glad that this tool exists nowadays because it allows people to to get their music out there. And I think that the lists and the, the editorial content that's curated by the team is really, really mm-hmm. interesting. Like, they always make an effort, even if I don't agree with, like, some of their opinions, like, they always make an effort to spotlight some interesting things yeah. that are happening. And that I can always get behind. Yeah. Do you, um, have you heard of the, do you know the band? Uh, they built up a sizable following, um, but I think they kind of like dropped off the face of the earth after releasing their project in 2019. Do you know the band Knife Wife? No, no, they no. They are like a group of three 15 year old girls made this incredible punky no wave album that was Ooh. just the most grotesque lyrics. I think it's called something party, something family party. I think that's what it's called. And they, and they were from DC, like DC, that's like a wealth of incredible, like um, independent music history. And like, they were like lauded by so many independent indie blogs and stuff like that. And they went on tour with priests um, a few years ago but I have no idea where they are now. They just put out this project and then like disappeared. Disappeared. Some of them do that. Like I think one of them was Blue Life back in 2011 because back in 2011, I, again, I was in Italy. Spoiler alert. There isn't, at least back then, there wasn't this huge like alternative English speaking culture behind music. Oh, no wonder. So I would like my, my favorite thing was on the weekends somehow I'll convince my friends to go to the bookstore, like all the way across town because it was the only one that had enemy. <laughs> and I was like, I need to buy enemy. I need to know what's going on. I can't just go on the website. I need to buy enemy because I need to be able to get the ads from the albums and stick them on my wall and destroy the wallpaper. That's what I want to do. So um, one of the things, like I remember Wu Life, this Wu Life band being like the biggest 
staying on enemy in 2011 and the it was a good record but then they disappeared out of nowhere and some of these bands like i, I think about some of these bands that, like propped up um that you they don't know i think 2019 we still have a chance that um we might see them very very soon and especially because 2019 was derailed by the dumpster fire that was 2020 yeah. so maybe you know as things ease in keyword being ease um more and more people will return and i think honestly i think for and i don't want this to sound too dark but i think like challenge and struggle is like oh yeah fuel for creativity and art and so i think we're gonna see like some really interesting stuff in 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 music what i'm super excited like this year all that i've heard for 20 2021 so far except for even the sweet trip was pretty good like in, in retrospect I've only heard records that I was like super excited about that are getting like exposure and stuff. And so I'm like, I'm feeling optimistic for the first time in a really, really long time. And also I fell out of the music scene, honestly, after I graduated in 2018 um, because I stopped doing the show and I really dedicated myself to my job because I was like, oh, I need to, I need to do that. And it was the right thing to do. But now I'm really like, I have a lot of cashing up to do <laughs> with, with where the, everything has been for, the last um few years or so and i'm very excited like i i couldn't be happier with with everything that's happening in terms of of the music commentary community and the channels and everything getting a little bit more out there um and you growing too because i i saw that your channel has grown too as well recently and so i'm like this is our moment to shine yeah. As as women, as music commentary creators that focus on these like interesting stories. And I think that that's like really the key, if not like same old like Coldplay video essay. Because I don't know about yeah. you, but I'm like, Coldplay played out. I'm going to ask you a difficult question though. Okay. But I want to hear your answer. And I, I will preface this by saying that I hate when people ask me this, but I, I just want to hear your answer because I'm interested. What are the most not going to give you a number, but like the most seminal records or artists of your formative years that have really like shaped where you are now. But here comes um, my big basic vanilla answer. Yes, please. Is This It by The Strokes was one of the first. That was my step one foray into the world of um, sort of indie and then discovering more obscure stuff. Because like, (laughs) I don't know. They've been like, I don't, the new album was great. I love the new abnormal, but here's my, here's my complicated relationship with the strokes tangent. I, (laughs) this is like, so this is like my Mr. Big moment. Oh, yes. Toxic, but I keep coming back. (laughs) I love Nick Valenci. I love Nick Valenci. I, have the most gigantic soft spot for him because of the way he plays. It makes me so emotional whenever I hear those like pulsing like intervals like that. Um, and this is like the one of the only records to this day that I can listen to and it makes me just start bawling, like crying like crazy. Like that's like, and it's because of the way Nick Valenci plays. That's like the main thing. And so that was like, that was like my first, I would say the second is PJ Harvey's stories from the city, stories from the sea, like that 
Um, I don't even know if that's what it's called. I can't remember. I have, but I'm my, terrible with names. Terrible. I, it makes me sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, even though like I've I've seen the record fifty thousand times. I just can't remember the name. So, but yeah, I um my one of my uh, family friends who I was staying with when I first moved um into my very first teensy tiny super expensive New York dorm when I at my first year of college um she played some PJ Harvey and I was like who is this I must know <laughs> like right now the minute I heard it so and then I um and so I think but I think and of course it goes without saying I think like Nirvana like they I feel like that was, I don't think people realize how big of a moment that was because of like the scene that they came up in. I remember watching like the hype documentary and seeing this one lady talk about seeing the video when it came out. And she was like, this is, I've never seen anything like this before. This is incredible, but they're never going to play it on MTV. And that really sucks. And then it broke through and like changed everything. Like I think um, getting into Nirvana was one of my first, as it was for everyone, I would say, you know, like Nirvana had a huge moment, but I think that, but I love reading about like the history of how the band came up and like how gigantic and what a big deal it was that they went as mainstream as they did. Um, So yeah, but mostly, um, so I would say like those, like, um, and also I don't think I would, I would have listened to, and also my parents, this is such a corny answer, but my parents, for sure. My mom was who got me into the velvet underground. That was my mom. Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> and, but yeah, I I'm surprised I didn't say that earlier. Number one influence, I would say in my family, like I, it, it's insane how many Gen Z kids are able to access all this music history mm-hmm. and all the indie kids getting into all these bands that my dad was paying like a $5 cover charge to see in these clubs back in his heyday. Like, I wish. <laughs> but yeah, who would you say like your first sort of record budding music geeks? Oh God. So I have a contrasting answer to you because my family had the worst musical output like it was uh simply red and um simply red with a side of uh simply red (laughs) (laughs) literally all i heard growing up was just like simply red forever um and then there was like i feel like my dad was like a he shared musical taste with patrick bateman because for some reason they were like the same and it's kind of freaky um but it, it that never really got me like and so I kind of searched for things on my own it was such a bizarre moment when I realized that I, I liked rock music because I think I must have been like 10 or something but I there was this radio station in Italy that I was like we were like going through the radio stations and I was like oh I like this like I don't, I don't remember the song but there was like a a nice little riff and I was like ah I'm kind of into this and then my friend looked at me I was like fuck you into it I was like how weird <laughs> And then eventually I cultivated my own online world like a while back. And I guess that world started, this is so, this is such a weird answer, but it started with this band called the Helios Sequence. And if it wasn't for the Helios Sequence, I wouldn't know who my buddy Valentine are. So I guess I have to talk about the Helios Sequence because they eventually became this like indie darling late 2010s sub pop band that had a moderate amount of success for 
you know what? Like they got one song. I think it was on the Seventeen Again soundtrack. Big moment um, for them, and they they put out like some decent albums. Their last two albums were very derivative and generic, and it kind of pains me. But they started as two. They worked at a uh, at a record store, um, and this record store had this basement, and they would like record in this like record store basement and I was such a big fan of like the, I think that was their first album because it was so there was this one track that was like weirdly chaotic and weirdly noisy and I was like I love this chaos I love this noise this noise is like engulfing me oh this is it so I so I, I I do remember this distinctly I looked for music on oh, on Yahoo answers <laughs> <laughs> I was like songs that sound like the Helios sequence and so then people would ask so I was like ah, okay let me bookmark all of these Yahoo answers like so I'm so gutted that it's gone but um it, people recommended MGMT MGMT was a huge part of it but the Helios sequence is really what started the whole thing because then I, I went back to their first records and once I was done like devouring these first records in 2010 I was like I need more so then I discovered that they had like a whole second life in this basement before the sub pop deal happened. And I was like, okay, I wonder what that sounds like. My world shifted. The, the, magnetic, oh, the magnetic center of the earth like moved at least 0.002 inches and changed the entirety of the universe. The moment that I torrented, because obviously uh, <laughs> their entire discography. Um, so I... It was so glorious and noisy and gorgeous and psychedelic and nobody knew. No one knew. And I like, I, I became obsessed with these two records. And one of them is called Complex and the other one is called Young Effectuals. I don't know why, but I have a thing for magenta tinted and pink records. I don't know what it is. Boris, Tyler, Loveless, Young Effectuals. They're all like very bright pink. I don't know. But um, if this was just because it was noise, but like with like super psychedelic effects in the background and people didn't like it. Pitchfork panned it. Everybody hated it. It was like, it's too many effects. It's too much noise. <laughs> Don't but listen remember, to Pitchfork. Never listen. No, to exactly. <laughs> I, I was so angry. I was so angry at that reviewer because I was like, huh, look at this reviewer comparing this freaking 90s obscure band to the Beatles. I wonder what your education is. If, if the if the comparison that you're latching onto is the Beatles, Jesus Christ. I was, yeah. I was so angry. I was like, yeah, I was vitriolic, but they really opened up. I was like, I really got into like super psychedelic music at that time. And really psychedelic music is what got me anywhere. Um, but that was the opening door to MGMT. I was a very early Tim Impala fan back when Tim Impala was what I like to remember Tim Impala was. Um, so like the inner speaker day. Electro pop. Yeah. Before 2015, basically. <laughs> And I remember like I, I wore the same Impala shirt everywhere. I was like, I love your shirt. And I, I would think that people knew what it was. And I was like, ah! and I was like, oh yeah, the design is so cool. I'm like, oh, all right. All right. Okay. I see. Um, but that was a big part. And they they had this like there, I want to make a video at some point called the Tame Impala Extended Australian Psychedelic Music Universe, because there's literally like a cast of superhero bands at around that time that they were like affiliated with pond um is one of them and all the stuff that they put out was like huge for me um i bootlegged i think it was like jay watson's first records before he started doing the whole thing as gum and that was so 
cool. Um, and that and the Velvet Underground for me too, honestly. But I, I discovered them on my own, but I like I heard heroin. Um, and I was like, nothing's ever gonna be the same. But I was kind of like hovering in this like little psychedelic corner of the universe. And then eventually I started expanding into other things. I got really into Plantronics, I got into Prague afterwards. And I really stayed in the rock realm though. It's still like the the first realm. I never really went into drastically like some folk, I guess. Um, but to this day, I'm kind of I have to be in the mood for certain things. Um, so yeah, I think I think the helio sequence is like where everything starts. And so this is so cliche, but Radiohead. <laughs> Radiohead. Oh, yeah. Um, I like, I, I knew that I had to listen to Radiohead because everybody told me that I had to listen to Radiohead. So obviously I did. And I, again, I would do this thing where I would download gigabytes upon gigabytes of discographies and just like stick them on my iPod. And then whatever came up on shuffle came up. And I remember that like the song just from the band came up. And so that's why I have the ridiculous answer. Every time I ask, somebody asks me, what's your favorite Radiohead album? I have to say that it's the Benz, but I always disclaim it because of emotional, personal attachments. Because if it wasn't for Just, I would have never started playing guitar. And I'm an absolutely terrible guitar player. And nobody's ever going to see me play because I'm, I suck. However, I still love it, you know? So I'm like, I love music. I just I just think it's such a lovely little way of um, channeling so many different things in such a in such a freeing way. Because it can mean something to you that it doesn't mean to me. And yet we still both see the same value in it. And that to me is like a well, a treasure's yeah. worth of, of, of possibilities. Definitely. Like during, especially during lockdown, like when we were like in it, in it, like I was like the only thing keeping me able to just function and do stuff was music. Mm-hmm. That was the only reason I was like yeah. feeling any sort of, inclination to go on like you know it's like oof yeah no I feel you I was here I I was alone um I didn't get to like see anybody like all my foreign friends gradually left the city and I was like all right well um and that's kind of like I I because I stepped away from music and that's kind of when I got reignited with it and I was like I reignited my personal love and my personal interest for it so I definitely feel it because it, it it really does take you somewhere else mm. um, when you can't travel you can travel there is how I see it exactly it's a it's a world of possibilities for you to indulge it's yeah 100% for sure but yeah speaking of Radiohead like to <laughs> I'm I'm bringing up my uncle again but um because he he um he's such a character yeah. He's such a character. Like he's a he's a he's a builder. He builds like furniture and stuff. But um, I remember just growing up and like whenever I would go to my um, cousin's house, like it, like he would have his acoustic guitar out and all he would be playing is Radiohead, like Radiohead, Radiohead, Radiohead. Like he's the and um, so that was how that was how Radiohead got brought in to my life. Actually, that wasn't even the first I heard about it. Do you remember that Hannah Montana episode where then they got into a fight over was Coldplay playing or was Radiohead playing and they got into a massive fight about it? <laughs> now I remember it. I don't think I've thought about it in like 10 years or so, but now that you mention it, I have weirdly vivid memories of it. 
in, in the fact that I, I didn't know who Radiohead was when I watched it. So I was like, oh, um, clearly, obviously, Radiohead must sound exactly like Coldplay for them to be. But, <laughs> and now I'm like, this comparison, unless unless we're, we're restricting to Pablo Honey, I feel like this comparison is a little. Yeah. Misguided. Um, oh, Radiohead. I feel like everybody has a history with Radiohead. Oh, Radiohead is like that one X that everybody somehow... <laughs> Oh my God. Have you, like how it's become a meme have you ever heard of radiohead <laughs> for real though for real and i thought that i was I, like when i when i was like saying to people you know my favorite band is radiohead because it was a, it was for a long time um i thought that people i i, I felt so unique i was like oh and I kind of hate that people have this pressure to feel unique as well even in these like indie circles like i hear that a lot whenever people post topsters that um if all the topsters are the same, then how is it unique? No, because the topsters are the same because people are afraid of putting their actual favorites on there. Like yeah, one exactly. thing, Asia is one of my favorite records of all time. It's it it's it's a jazz rock dad rock. Like I I feel like I I I my body starts swelling with like a beer belly and I have this like need for ethanol as soon as I as soon as I start hearing the the, the chords to yeah. decompose. However, I still love it and I'm still going to put it on there. And so I always command people that have like really interesting records on their top stairs because I'm like, be you, man, be you. Like, let's stop this like mucor exclusivity Fantano ring. Not Again, poor, poor Anthony. He's got his own little thing. But because he's such a public figure now, oh, do you want to hear a funny story? Yeah. A funny story for you. When I was... <laughs> I love talking about this because it's so funny. When I was, um, so I started watching Anthony Fantano in 2011, again, 10 years ago, because I had a, I, I was sick. I had a sick day and I was like looking for, I don't know how it happened, but I just stumbled upon one of his videos and he was reviewing this really great band that I totally recommend to you, actually. I don't think you've heard, I mean, you might not have heard about them because they haven't been around for a while, but they're um, Autolux. So he was reviewing this Autolux record that came out like two years before. Um, and so I stumbled upon this video of him talking about Autolux. And um, I was like, I really wanted to make, this is so funny because this is like literally 10 years ago. And I really, and I already wanted to make some sort of video content about music. I was like, maybe I should like start reviewing, but I felt too subconscious to review because I was like, what if I don't have the right opinion? I know it's like a silly thought, but if you're 14, 15, usually that's like one of the first things to think about is you're really self-conscious. So I emailed Anthony and I was like, hey, um, from this like super embarrassing email that I had. It was like hearts 366 or something like that. I remember it being hearts with a Z. And I was like, hey, I'm a big fan of your work. I was just wondering, like I'm somebody that wants to start out if you have like any tips and stuff. I wasn't expecting an answer. I was there, but this was 10 years ago. He had like literally a fourth of the followers he does now. And he answered me. He was like, there, sorry to tell you, but there's like no set formula. All you got to do is start doing it and just keep doing it and hope for the best. Mm. And I remember when I first received this response, I was like, oh, this is so lackluster. I was so entitled. I was like, such a lackluster response. But with years and years and years, it really stuck out to me. And that's like the first thing you got to keep in mind about making content that you just got to do it. You can't, you cannot, you cannot trip yourself out and start like browsing all the forums. Be like, how am I supposed to do this, that, and the other thing? You just pump it out into the universe, mm-hmm. throw it at the wall and see what sticks. So yeah, I had email correspondence with um, 
with Anthony 10 years ago. That was funny. And to this day, I still think it's like some of the most valuable answer and um that I'd received as a 14 year old. Yeah. Oh my God. You know what? I'm 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 I just have you listened to Spelling's new album, The Turning Wheel? No. Anthony Fantano just gave 10 to that album. And two days before he posted it, like, cause Spelling's still like relatively a little bit on, she's still a little bit underground, but like in that middle ground where she like not quite mainstream, but not quite too obscure. Mm-hmm. I emailed her publicist and I was like, can I please, 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 please interview her? Please, please, please. And I was like, and he was like, let me get back to you. Two days later, Anthony Fantano gives her album a 10. And I'm just like, okay, oh. complete deluge now. Like, there's no way I'm ever going to get a chance to talk to her. But like this, but that was so funny. Like, I was just like. Oh, no, that's insane. That's insane. I feel like. He, I, I can always kind of predict what he's going to like. Every time I have a review, I play this game where I'm like, okay, what is he going to give this? Because I, and I can, like people were like hyping up Cavalcade, for example. They're like, oh, this is like a 10 worthy album. And it is to me, but I was like, this is not going to be a 10 to him. And it wasn't. Um, but I have to check this out now because he has this like really specific, for example, he always loved Death Grips when I was like really, because now that I make videos, it's hard for me to keep on watching them as much as I used to. So I have kind of like not watched them as much as I as I used to back then. But I remember that he really praised Death Grips and I didn't get, I did not get into Death Grips. Like I, I was like, I had this ex of mine who loved Death Grips, like hours on end of talking about Death Grips. And I was like, I am not gripped. And yeah. I, I was like, he was like listen to ex-military it will change your life and so i'm like sit down i listen to ex-military my life is still the same unfortunately the ma- the magnetic tides of the earth have not shifted for me this one time and i was like how do you like this like i don't i don't really understand and i was like oh because you're too vanilla i was like you and i met when we were moshing at a bad bat not good yeah i don't, I don't think my problem i don't think that's the issue here <laughs> I hate when people do that just like oh no, your brain not- levels are not on the on the right frequency to appreciate the death <laughs> it's like oh my god take off your fedora please no for real for real he was a little pretentious um he wasn't a bad kid but he was a little pretentious and then years later years later like now now that i i again after the pandemic i was like i, I should probably need to like work out and like get myself into shape because i literally haven't left my studio apartment in months and i discovered that the purpose of death grips for me <laughs> <laughs> death grips is my i hate life because i'm sweating now and so i want to channel all of my hatred into the world by keeping on sweating and so now i'm kind of starting to get into it so i feel like it's so interesting to see somebody's tastes kind of like evolve by that and I'm, I'm wondering if he like has changed this but I'm sure he's done videos about that and I should probably like look them up if I'm really invested but um like because a lot of people do change how they feel about music for me like I don't know that I would get into ex-military I haven't heard it yet but I've I've been re-listening to like the money store and it's kind of like a rediscovery for me I'm like oh okay now I see now I understand now I now I I get and then there are some things that I go back to and I'm like remind me why I was yeah. <laughs> I was obsessed with Ye Sayer of all things it was they were like this psychedelic band from again the early 2010s and um, one thing that I thought I was gonna feel this way about was Chill Wave I was like I'm probably gonna listen to Chill Wave and hate it no Chill Wave is still great I don't care what anybody says <laughs> Chill Wave respect um, forever and for real but 
Yeah, no, I, I, I love seeing people's different musical opinions um, and seeing different genres and different things, because to me, there's never enough to discover. That's what I love about music. I'm never going to run out of it ever. Um, and yeah, it's just a fascinating, lovely, super interesting world. It really is for sure. Mm-hmm. I love like, um, I'm just, um, I just put a poll on my channel and I was like, okay, who do you want me to do next? Oh, I voted for that one. Oh, which one did you vote for? Karen O. Good. Because Karen O, I really want to see you tackle Karen O. I'm like, yes. I've been, I, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's have been huge in like my, my, my formative years. I guess I forgot to mention, but they were, because I I had like a journey with all their records. It started from, um, see, now I'm going to, it's Blitz. It started from it's Blitz. And then, and then it went into, into their earlier stuff um but like yeah no I'm really excited so please make that video yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be like the first to watch it <laughs> she's winning the poll so I'm I just started scripting it time to reread meet me in the bathroom well, 700 pages let's go oh God. <laughs> tell me about it but there tell were it. there were so many like um what was I gonna say Damn it. I forgot. Oh, th- there were so many interesting quotes about like, cause I love talking about New York at the turn of the century and how different it was. It and that's really- going to be my intro to this video for sure. Cause like someone said a really interesting quote in meet me in the bathroom. It's like, have you read it? It's like a please kill me esque kind of oh. history of the garage rock revival. I and- need to, I need to, I have like a whole reading list that I haven't like had the time because of the iceberg stuff to, to get yeah. into, but I really I highly recommend it. And the author, Lizzie Goodman, she like, she wanted, I listened to a few of her interviews and she had said that the main intention was that to make New York the main character. A lot of people have tried to cast certain bands like the Strokes and the White Stripes as like the main character, like the Strokes are undisputedly the main character. And she's like, no, the main character. No, no, no. Yeah. The main character is New York. You know, when I was, I first came to New York when I was 10. And I did not speak a word of English because I'd been at the American school for like two months or so. And I was I, I understood it. Um, I grew up bilingual. So that was a huge help as a child in learning a third language. But um, I came here and I was like, I need to be like I, I was I just sensed this energy about New York. and I became obsessed with it. I was like, I need to be in New York. I'm going to do all that it takes to get myself in a position where we are. And then when I got into music, I discovered all the early garage rock scene from the NYC days and and that made cemented it even more. And it kind of like, you know, it's a little heartbreaking. It's a little gutting, but it is very, very different now than than must have been like, I can't say what it was, but because when I first came here, I was already like um, dying down. I've got to say, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still glad that, I got to experience. But what always fascinated me about that time is that it feels like such a, it feels like almost a last gasp of some of the last of something that happened musically pre-internet before all the blogosphere explosions and mm-hmm. as like, and right after 9-11, before the city, before they completely, before Giuliani with asterisks inserted in there because his name deserves to be censored. 
gutted Manhattan and ruined everything for all the artists. And like, so it feels like, and it also feels like a last gasp of like sort of that rock and roll, the glamorization, quote unquote, of rock and roll debauchery, which people are, I'm glad people are finally being like, this is, this really needs to end all this shit because debauchery is not glamorous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for young women who enjoy going to shows. It's like, there's a lot of, it's like, and so, yeah, that's also another part of where my complicated relationship with the strokes comes into play. Cause like they were undoubtedly a part of that, like sort of major label indie bands who were sort of like looking at young women as toys and disposable objects and it's just like eh, eh, you know I'm like hopefully yeah and it's tired it's so tired you know but I'm looking but I what I really love is that Karen O said some excellent quotes in there she was like I witnessed all this stuff and it just like I felt like the black sheep all the time I felt like but what but it was also a blessing in a way because a lot of men sort of kneel at the altar of all this rock and roll glamorization lifestyle stuff and it just and I didn't have to play by those rules I could play by my own rules and make my own sort of like yeah. and that's why I will always respect her that's what and I love her so much she's incredible and I love how many young people now in music, like one of the lead singers of Big Joni said that her big inspiration was Karen. Biba Doobie covered one of her solo songs. And I love how she's getting the respect that she deserves. Because honestly, like she she came up and she came up like as kind of a lone ranger in this circle. Mm-hmm white dudes just like I can't yes. imagine what that must have been like you know yes and that that's the thing about that's really interesting to me about the black sheep comment is some I, I think that part of it was also like she just was in the position of like not even no matter what she did she was just gonna be in this like role like oh I'm the you know that I I don't know if you're familiar with tv tropes but on tv tropes there's this like trope the chick literally yeah. the, name of the trope is the chick because you're female and there's one like chick yeah yeah no you're like the one and, and I'm just like and it was such a, I don't know, like it was such a, I guess like in the scene, she, she, she was one of the most prominent figures. And I get, I'm so happy that she got a chance to like be prolific even after um, kind of the, the band's catalog kind of started dying down and yeah. she got, she released that really interesting, like lo-fi solo um, album that people had mixed feelings about. I really loved it because I was like, this is so raw. Um, but yeah, because most girls at the time were either getting into the like metric, really poppy, like um, pop rock vibe where you have to like, again, clean up and sanitize. And she like really stayed true to what the ethos with better production, um, which subjective, but like, I guess more like aesthetically high quality production, but it, it still stayed within the soul I I always think that she's like a very soulful person because there's always like a lot of passion a lot of sentiment there for example Julian is a really talented performer but I I don't think of him as a particularly like dripping like I I saw the strokes multiple times and every time it was a really interesting experience because they're obviously they're really great musicians but I never felt like as a vocal delivery I was like getting a lot of feelings I don't know art yeah he's like he's like 
stone cold like he's a total sphinx like I still can't no one can figure him out you no know I can figure it out right like and and the music to this day it's like some of the most emotional you know lovely work again by Nick Valenci and um I was part of this like oh god um basically I was I was friends with a lot of people that were like extreme strokes fans um online at the time I had a lot of online friends and I was more of a psychedelic Tim Impala, weird VSAer underground. Like I, most bands that I like, nobody else liked, and that was fine. But um, I remember, and 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 I loved the Strokes too. I loved how Sofia Coppola worked them into the Marie Antoinette soundtrack. That's like how my love for them really started. It's yeah. because I was like, what are the people? I was like, I never thought that the Strokes would suit the 18th century landscape so much, and yet there it was. I was like. But like Regina Spector said something about them, about how it, they're so the way they play is so similar to classical music in a way, too. So it almost kind of fits. It's all it's all about the atmosphere. I think that it's all if you're able to work a certain vibe in anything can work. It all goes like, for example, that's something that I'm really conscious about. My my footage sometimes sucks because i get all this like archival random youtube footage from like 10 years ago with videos that have like two views and whatever but because the vibe is this like vhs found for somehow it works like i'm glad that the censorship on the last video somehow worked because of the of the way that the type goes um and on the type really like flashes on screen i'm like oh god oh god okay this was somehow spared um but yeah no they they were always like I'm really excited to see your your take because you always do a really good job at summarizing and and going from from little from the big picture into again weaving a narrative. And the reason why again why your content to me stood out is because it it's not content that is covered enough mm-hmm. by the big big channels. Like I did see a video, one of the videos that stood out to me um was about Nico back in the day and I had no idea that the marble index was like her whole rejection of her own identity. And that to me was like so powerful to this day. I, I can't say that I'm like, I don't, I don't think I like the marble index. I tried whenever I try to like music too hard. I never do, but I really did. Um, but just as a concept of her really like trying to alienate people as much as possible and be like, no, I'm not this like, Velvet Underground little toy that Andy Warhol stuck up there. And again, I love Velvet Underground. You could one of my favorite albums. I love Andy Warhol. I love Lou Reed. However, I must agree. I'm like, yeah, you're not just like, they referred to her as a chanteuse. She wasn't even in the band. She was like there chilling like a villain. And so I'm like, yes, reclaim that. Utilize that. Tell your own story. Be your own self without like the anchor of the chick. Yeah. Because you mean just a chick. It's so like you would never say that Andrew from MGMT, like I'm saying these are the big bands at the time, Andrew from MGMT or Julian from the Strokes were the same person. However, if you were to have two big performers, like you think of an example. So okay. There, I cannot remember her name. I think her name was Aoki, but from a band called um, Asobi Sexu at the time. Um, and she, they basically did this like shoegazing thing. And it was very, very new. And it was like, at the time, it was just as big as, as Karen's thing. But they were completely different. You people were like, oh, you know, 
all these females with like, she was being compared. Okay. She was being compared to metric. That's what it was. So they did a more poppy record. And because the record was more popular, it's like, oh, well, clearly somebody's trying to admit it. No, it has nothing to do. Well, one thing has nothing to do with the other. Yeah. Two different voices. Alison Goldfrapp as well got compared to metric, which to me, you know, women make up 51% of the world population. We have personalities. Like even if there's like a main blonde chick on the stage, it ain't the same chick. It just ain't the same chick. It's so weird to me. Like people decide that like female is somehow a genre. Like any stage (laughs) that begins with all these females. I'm just like, can you just let the girls exist and make art in peace? No, of course not. We can't even have that. We can't even be like, oh. So I, I think I remember one day I was like looking at this like really toxic uh, rate your music thread. And I was like, I'm, I can't really get into music with female vocals. And I was just like, you're closing yourself off to a no, whole you, world. Do, you do realize that female vocals come in like all shapes and sizes. Like there's female vocals that sound like this. And then there's, there's female vocals that sound like Portishead. There's female vocals that sound like, yeah, I, again, I, I, yeah. I, like Debbie Harry, completely different voices. And yet you, you're just generalizing it because yeah. it's female vocals. Like I can say the same thing. I can't get into, I can get into power electronics. However, maybe there's something that I like a little bit more. Yeah. And also all your favorite dad rock records have female backing vocals. Like you're not going to escape female vocals, whatever you do, you know? No, for real. And also like all of the dad rock records, I can say the same thing. Everybody has the same, like really weird and nasally, like I'm just a full voice. Um, I don't know if you've seen those yacht rock videos. I, I discovered them when I was doing the first iceberg and they're so fun. They're like the story of like Kenny Loggins and, and, and oh God, so it's, it's hilarious again. And for my little own niche sense of humor, that was like, I cracked myself up just watching these videos. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited about what the channel is going to do. One thing that I do um, want to tell you, because maybe, I don't know, maybe if you want to have a part in it, I am planning on turning the, broadcast essay into a video because it's my calling and destiny clearly my phone's preserved yeah for a reason um so you know and i want to put that out i'm going to put that out on the 21st 28th of september because it's trish keenan's birthday and it's been 10 years since she's passed and i named one of my guitars trish and i am sick and tired of thinking of trisha paytas whenever i look at my guitar so (laughs) So I need, I need, I need new air. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the next project after um, the MBV series is hopefully, I think one of them can be done this in the next month. And then that's going to be the, the next um, thing that I get my little pause on. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, I would love to get like a, like a little segment if you want to be part of it. Yeah, um, we can do a collab. Yes, we can do a collab. Yeah, uh, I was thinking I was thinking of asking you as well oh. earlier, so I'm glad that you mentioned this. Yeah, kindred spirits, kindred spirits. <laughs> awesome. Oh my, uh, and also like when I do, uh, yeah, when I come up with like another thing, I'll send it over to you and see if you'd want to do a segment as well. Please, uh, please. I I worked with um, 
I do a little thing for side sounds and conversations, which is like this little vaporwave show. And I get a chance to like cover all my favorite records. One of the, one of the ones that I want to do now, I love making content with other people for other people. It makes me so happy. So like contribute to people that are just as passionate as I am. And I'm like seeing them like light up and just like yeah. have these discussions to me. It's just like, ah, could go on all day. Um, but um, yeah, I get a chance to talk about all these like weird records that I don't think anybody mentioned like I want to do one for example Cro-Magnon that I talked about on this latest songs iceberg the orgasm I had to censor the word orgasm (laughs) no for real because I looked (laughs) (laughs) and it sucked because one of the jokes was the um Crow um orgasm released in 1969 and then I was like ha um so then I had to censor that and it totally fell flat as fuck um and that sucked but um that's I want to do like an episode on that one I want to do an episode on gold fraps first album because that shit is out of this world no one has ever made something that I know of they call it a trip hop it's not it's like a swinging masterpiece of all sorts um and I don't know why but when I was 13 way before my musical years I somehow heard the song human on that album, which is this like very creepy. Um, apparently, Allison like screamed into a vocoder to make the this the yelling noises or whatever. But it was just like her harmonizing, and then it sounds like a scream, and that to me is like what. Um, but I was I was listening to it. I stumbled upon it. When I was re- when I was reading about you know the SpongeBob Lost Media creepy pasta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, every time I think about Goldfrap, I have like Squidward's face, which is great. Um, but once again, we want to dissociate a few things from, from other things. Um, so that's going to be something to do. Again, I, I love to, that's another reason why I started the channel is because I wanted to kind of get a chance to, to talk to people because ever since I've become a boring adult, I haven't really um, been exposed to, to that many music fans. Um, on the daily so yeah no for sure please do feel free to send over all the time yeah um yeah as soon as you like put the script the trish script together you can send it over and i can think of something to work in there absolutely and i'm really excited about that project because the bulk of the work was done in the essay and the essay like i i um it's a little dated but i think it can be like obviously reworked because I did so much research for it and it, it resonated for with a few people when it first came out. Like I remember that I wrote it because I really, I had to write it since um, Trish passed of H1N1. The reason why I wrote it was because she passed of H1N1 and I, at the time had had the swine flu and everybody was still, again, so early in the pandemic that everybody was still comparing it. And I was like, this is somebody that past of complications related to this issue. So I wrote it and it, I think the name, I called it um, broadcast wants you to stay inside or something like that. And I can connected to the pandemic and um, the fact that it resonated for people, I wrote it and I kind of let it be in the universe. And um, then like months later, I remembered that I'd written it and I signed into my medium again. And I saw that people actually like responded and I got like a, a few messages about it. And I was like, and one of them was somebody that I actually worked with her. Um, and I think in terms of making music videos, they worked with the band and I'm like, Oh, you know, she would have been so happy to read such a labor of love. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like so humbling. But that's when I was like, I need to make this into a thing. 
Um, and the reason why the channel has the embarrassing name that it has, what's well, not embarrassing, I think it's clever, um, is because originally my blog was about comparing records to existential emotional relationships. Um, I did that with a Panchico. I, I wrote an, a Panchico essay as well about the death metal record and the whole story there. I don't think that I'm ever going to make a video about it because it's tired a little bit. Um, it's been told. I don't think I have anything else new to say. And I don't think, again, I don't think the channel is going to stay with that like super personal angle. Um, but I do want to do the Trish essay because that was just... Like the, I, I need like clearly my phone told me that I have to. I, I must abide the calling. The universe, yeah. The universe <laughs> has instructed me with this, and therefore I must. Um, but yeah, no, there's so much stuff that I want to do. I wish there was more time, and I wish I could like stop time, work on a video, and then like stop time again, work on the video, stop time again, yeah. and just, like, let it pass. Uh, but there's not enough time in a day to ever do anything. <laughs> True. Yeah. Oh, do you know what actually like, and you know was the first video that I just posted and sent out to the universe like before like before I decided to keep the channel going was like I am a ginormous my chemical romance Dan I have always loved them and when the pandemic started I felt like I was revisiting all that I felt like I had to listen to the Black Parade again, a concept album about dying as people were dying (laughs) everywhere. But like, I just sort of always found a kindred spirit in Gerard Way and the way that he just sort of was never really cast into like the stereotypical music playing role. And they've talked about this too, even as the band came up and got popular, they were always sort of cast into the loser realm because they wouldn't abide by like the pressures of the industry. I mean, they did fall into the whole drug habit thing, but they never exploited their female fans. They never um, wanted to fall into the whole thing where they would, I guess, like feel pressured to make something that they didn't want to. I mean, like there are fans who think that they sold out with the danger days record, but I like that record. Um, But I remember, so I decided to write about basically my own love letter slash essay to Gerard and what, (laughs) and what he's done for his queer fans, because Mm -hmm. there's been so much discourse recently about how he's kind of been in his own sort of, unique light a a queer icon and how and how much and he's done a lot for his especially for his trans fans like he was never pandering or anything he was just like I really appreciate you guys and I'm really glad that you are able to find solace in anything that I do because I've always wanted to like everything he does has always come from such an authentic place and that's why I love my chemical romance people People give them shit for being gimmicky or or like turning the whole theater kid niche of emo into a monster. But that's what I've always loved about them. They were always outcasts, even when they became rich. Right. And um, so I, I felt like, you know what, I have to write about this and how like there's all those like really cute, like edited videos that Stan's put together, like, oh, like Gerard being a queer icon for five minutes and stuff like that. And I was like, I, I want to make an essay. Yes. About, about why, yes, about yes, why yes. we love him so much and what he's done for the community. 
uh, and this, especially the queer stan community as, um, of like little, e- like, I, I, there's like, I don't even know what emo means anymore, but as soon as something starts having multiple waves in the music world, I'm like, okay, it officially means nothing. But yeah, kind of <laughs> like, like, like you said about your broadcast thing and how you needed to write it. Like I needed to write this. Like I hadn't stopped thinking about him like for days and days and days. And I was like, <laughs> you know yeah, what? I, I got to write this down. Gotta, it needs to come out of you. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like all this like energy that you have inside and then it needs to like be released in some sort of creative form. Um, and that to me was like, I, I, I'll be honest. I think I never got into MCR properly. Um, I knew of a lot of people that did, but I tell you something, if you are able to do something that you love and to make something that more and more people love without feeling like you're selling your soul out and at the same time, like being able to derive clear benefit from it, like even, you know, purely monetary and solid benefit from it. What's wrong with that? You know what I mean? Like there's nothing, I, I, all I have is respect. If you're able to connect with people on that level, you know, as long as again, you're not being completely immoral, like, when you mentioned the strokes and your complicated relationship with Julian, I have the same complicated relationship with David Bowie because I love David Bowie, but however, David Bowie like slept with multiple 14 year olds. Yeah. Like, 30s. And that is disturbing. Um, yeah. So I'm like, I need to divorce the work and um, I'm not going to mention any names, but I I'm very passionate about my work not telling people what to think because it isn't my job you know what I mean like I have the need to like divorce I have this complicated relationship with having the need to divorce certain characters from the music because the music person is a person the music is the music if the music itself is not you know isn't glamorizing that stuff yeah as long as the music isn't glamorizing as long as the music isn't telling me to be like a Trump supporter or whatever I'm not gonna have an issue with the music if the person itself is some kind of way that's their you know prerogative and I made this video about that and um yeah it 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 became complicated on a number of angles and I'm still kind of like navigating it um Mm. because it was a it was my second video and it I'm not gonna say blew up but like when people when people found it when people that were fans of this musician found it and I hope that I get to like bring it back at some point but um, they were really happy about it because it was the exploration of a series of complex, nuanced issues. Yeah. Because you have to treat things with nuance. You, you really do. This wrong, this bad, the end. No, you got to say, why did this something happen? Because I think that the antidote to like ignorance is just knowing the story. And like, yeah. so, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that, this resulted you make up your mind. You agree yeah. with so-and-so one, you agree with so-and-so two. That's your, you know, you, you got to agree with who you want to agree. Yeah. My job is to put it together for you to understand what happened. And let's just say that I was pressured into that, not of, of going beyond that and into putting out a propaganda piece, which I'm not comfortable doing. Yeah, never, yeah. Never do that in my life. That's something I try to do too, not be too propaganda-ish. I mean, like, even with the first video, like, I I was, it's so easy to fall into a trap when you're talking about something like LGBTQ issues, but I'm like, I'm talking about this from a personal angle. I'm not trying to preach to anyone. 
No, exactly. People exactly. What they will from it. To me, it's hard when, when I'm talking about like somebody who I don't agree with morally um, or like personally. And yet I, I still enjoy their, their body of work. That doesn't prevent like, but I know that people are different. I know that not everybody's like me. I know that somebody who has a strong moral stance against somebody that might bleed into their opinions on the music. And that's fine. That is fine. The point of it is not me telling you, you shouldn't care. It's yeah. It's up to you. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening to part two of my conversation with Val. Don't forget to subscribe to her indie channel, Sets in the CD. Don't forget to give the podcast a rating and review on Apple. Remember to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Misanthro. My blog is izzyshutup.com. My Instagram page is at Izzy's Two Cents. And my Twitter is at Misanthrope I. Thank you for listening once again, and I'll see you all in the next episode.